And hopefully, we go to him even before we realize we can't find some of those things. Thank you, Billy Wayne. We appreciate your song this morning. Uh, Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about who we are, the church. And so to get us started, we have launched out into that foundational passage in the book of Matthew last week in an effort not to keep you here until about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We divided this into two messages, and so we want to go back today to Matthew 16. We're going to read together verses 13 through 20, and I want to talk to you about the statement of Christ here from this passage upon this rock. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13, let us read together the word of the Lord. The Bible says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he is the Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the blessing of your word. Lord, we have been reminded as we've been studying even on Wednesday nights, of how, Lord, you inspired men of old to write down your very word. And so, Lord, we know that uh, the Matthew, the gospel writer, wrote this down as you inspired him. And, Father, thank you that within this passage we see the very words of our Lord describing who we are as a local New Testament church. And I pray this morning that you would bless us as we think about your word. I pray that it would inspire us. And I pray, Father, that if there's any place here in your word where we see that maybe we don't add up to where we ought to be, I pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would convict us of it and that we would make steps to be the people of your church that you have called us to be. God, thank you again for the blessing of fellowship and the privilege to be here today. And we ask all of that in the name of the Lord Jesus. And people of God, say with me this morning, Amen. Upon this rock, last week we talked about the fact that the Lord Jesus took his apostles all the way up to the very tip-top edge of the country of Israel, to this place that's identified as Caesarea Philippi, 
to have this crucial conversation about the church. And I introduced to you last week that really this whole passage answers four very important questions. Question number one, how do I get into the church? How does one enter the church? Question two is, of what is the church composed? How is the church constructed? Number three is, what's the future of the church? And then last of all, we're going to answer the question as we study God's Word this morning of why is the church here? I shared with you that Jesus took the apostles to this beautiful location for really two reasons. Number one, because it was an epicenter of false worship back 2,000 years ago. The Greeks had come here actually in the days of Alexander the Great. They had conquered this area and they set up this particular place to be the place where people would come and worship the false god Pan, P-A-N, Pan. And so they would come here and they would worship him. Pan is always depicted as a half man and a half goat, but as I shared with you last week, he was altogether bad. And so they would come here, they would have sacrifices, both of animals and humans, and they would decide whether or not that Pan had accepted their sacrifices. If Pan did not accept their sacrifice in their imagination, they would go into panic. That's where the word panic comes from. And ultimately, if they felt like they continued to sacrifice and he still didn't accept it, they would go into pandemonium. So those words that are even common in the English language, they're derived from the false god worship of the false god Pan. And so Jesus wanted to take his apostles here to draw out of them who is the true God. And so he asks that question, who are people saying that I the Son of Man, am. And then he tightens the focus as we looked at last week. He looks at the apostles and asks them, who do you say that I am? And so Jesus brought them here to have that conversation backdropped by the evilness and the hellishness of what was going on right here in this very community of Paneas back then that had been renamed Caesarea Philippi. But also the Lord brought the apostles here to use it as an object lesson. We talked about the fact that it's here that Jesus gives Simon, as he was before we started calling Peter, his new name, Peter. So when you think about the apostle Peter, it's right here at this place, Caesarea Philippi, where he gets that new name. And then you see in the picture that's on the screen this big, large outcropping of stone. And so that gave Jesus an object lesson to talk about the Petra, the large, massive rock, the unmovable rock upon which he would build his church. And so last week we looked at the faith of the church, 
number one, and you cannot get into the church anyway except through the Lord Jesus. It's not about the instrument of membership like we use here at Bible Baptist Church. It's a good thing to use membership because it helps us track people and understand the people that God has placed under the responsibility of this local church. But hear me clearly, it's not being a member of Bible Baptist Church that places you into the Lord's church. Make sure you understand that. You can be a member of any particular church for years upon years and still die in your sin and go to hell. Make sure you know that. I'm always amazed when I read obituaries and sometimes the obituary will say he or she was a member of this certain church. At other times it's even more nebulous than that. Sometimes you can read an obituary and it will say this person was of the Baptist faith. The important thing is, is not whether or not that person was a member of any particular church or of a certain faith. The important thing is that he or she had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I tell you today, listen closely, it's not a thing of counting upon membership in the church. It's not about a work. It's not about even following in believers' baptism or taking the Lord's Supper. Those are great things. Those are part of our discipleship. But those things do not place you into the church that we're talking about this morning. It's faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. And we see it right here in this conversation. Again, Jesus asked the apostles, who are people saying that I am? And they give him a variety of answers, but he looks at them directly, tightening the focus, and he asks, who do you say that I am? That's the most important question in life. Not will you marry me? Not will you come to my school? Not will you take this job? Not will you do this or do that. The most important question in your life is who is Jesus? And if you can't say with clarity by faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is your Lord, that He is your Savior, that He is your Master, if you can't say that by faith, then you're not a member of His church. How do you get into the church? By explicit faith in Christ. Number two, last week, we also looked at the formation of the church. Jesus identifies that for us. And this is important because we learned last week that the very first mention of the word church is right here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 18. Now, it's the first time you'll find the word church in the New Testament. You'll find it another 113 times, all the way down to Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, where John writes and he says that the Lord had given him that message for the churches. 
So from Matthew 16, 18 to Revelation 22, 16, all through the New Testament, you'll find the church because the church is so incredibly important. But the first time you hear that word church, it's right here. It's the Greek term ekklesia. That means to be called out and placed into an assembly. And we talked about that last week. That's what the Lord has done for us. The Bible says we have been called out of darkness and we have placed or have been placed into His marvelous light. So when you think about being a part of His church, it means you're a part of the called out ones. That's what you're saying when you say, I'm a part of the Lord's church. I'm a part of a group of people that is not like the world. I've been called out. I'm a part of His church. And so Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's where Jesus gives him his nickname, Peter. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, again in the picture, you see that massive rock. Last week, I brought a rock from this location. I showed you probably what Jesus did. He probably stooped over and picked up a movable stone. Likely, he pitched it over to Peter. Peter called it, and Jesus says, Simon, that's who you are. You're a Petros. You're a small, movable stone. You're durable. You're rugged. You're rocky. You are tough, Peter. But that's who you are. Peter understood that. Remember we talked about the fact that before you flip from Matthew 16 to Matthew 17... Jesus is already saying to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. So Peter knew that he was susceptible to fleshly thoughts and fleshly actions. Hear me clearly. Jesus did not build His church upon Peter. And Jesus did not build His church upon you. Jesus did not build His church upon me. Jesus did not build His church upon some some celebrity worship leader or some larger-than-life preacher. Jesus built His church upon Himself. Don't miss that. I know sometimes you might hear people teach or preach from this passage And they may say things like, Jesus built His church upon the kind of faith that Peter exhibits here. That's not correct. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says to Peter, you're the Petros, you're the movable stone. But using again the area here as an object lesson, Jesus likely points up to this big old rock and He says it's upon something like this, a Petra, that I will build my church. Peter understood it. Peter never for one moment believed that Jesus was building the church upon him. 
I shared with you last week that Peter identifies that when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 that there is in Zion a chief cornerstone. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. He goes on to describe that we are like living stones placed upon the chief cornerstone. So let me just ask you, in Peter's mind, who was the cornerstone? Himself? No. Jesus. Jesus is the chief, the elect cornerstone upon which the church is built. That's the formation of the church. And those of you that know a little bit about buildings and structures, you know that more important than anything else in a structure is its foundation, right? It's all about the foundation. The reason this structure in which you and I are gathered this morning, the reason that it can stand tall, the reason that it's durable, the reason that the winds and the storms don't shove it over is because there's a good foundation here, physically. That's the most important thing about building a home or building a skyscraper for that matter. Remember years ago being down in New Orleans, uh, taking a, a seminar at the seminary there, and we went downtown, and they were putting up one of those big skyscrapers, and it was an amazing thing how they dug so deep. You know, that soil there is very sandy, and so they had to dig deep, as deep as they possibly could, until they hit bedrock so that they could begin pouring up the concrete and building a good foundation upon which that that skyscraper would be placed. And my friend, that's why the church is durable today. That's why the church is here. That's why the church isn't going anywhere. Not because it was built on Peter, but because it was built on the rock of ages, Jesus himself. So that's the formation of the church. I tell you that you're Peter, and upon this rock, you're Petros, but upon the Petra, upon the unmovable stone, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That brings us up to where we are today. Number three from this passage, I want you to see with me the future of the church. Aren't you thankful this morning that the Lord's church is invincible until He comes to claim her. The Lord's church is the most certain institution in the world today. The Lord's church. Because the church is built upon and belongs to Jesus. Remember we looked at that last week. Jesus using personal pronoun says, I will build possessive pronoun my church. The Lord builds His church, and it belongs to Him. And because of that, it's the most secure, it's the most certain thing, and it has an absolutely wonderful future. Jesus says, the future is so sure about my church that the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades in Greek, shall not prevail against it. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus being there in that location 
And you saw in the earlier picture how there was an opening to a cave there. I explained to you last week, it would be actually back in that cave where they would do their sacrifices. The ancient temple there to Pan had, had a back exit, and people would worship. They'd walk through that back exit into the mouth of that cave where they would do their sacrifices. I'll give you one guess. What do you think the ancients called the opening to that cave? The gates of hell. So again, Jesus uses all of this as an object lesson. He points over to that cave opening and he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, the hellish system of Satan and all of his minions, all of those fallen angels, those demonic forces upon the face of the earth, they cannot prevail against the advancement of the Lord's church. Now I want you to think about gates. What are gates used for? Well, a couple of reasons. If you put up a gate, you're trying to keep the unwanted out, right? If you put up a gate to your property, and it's a secure enough gate, you're going to keep the unwanted out. And also that gate is to keep the wanted in. And so Jesus really here is using the first idea about a gate. I want you to listen to me closely. For long, way too long, the church has been hunkered down. In other words, the, the church gets concerned about everything and anything. The government begins to threaten this and that, and the church gets concerned about it. The taxation system is always saying, well, you know, it may, came, it may come the time when the, the church loses its tax-exempt status. All these things are always being threatened against the church. And so sometimes as the church we begin to be in the defensive. Oh, pitiful us. Everybody's against us. That's not the mentality that God wants for His church. We're never to be on the defensive. But the church is to always be on the offensive. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The gates of hell... The evil establishment of this world cannot keep the church from advancing. Listen, the church is here to push into the darkness. The church is here to advance with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says here, the church will be able to do that because the gates of hell cannot keep the church out of the culture. It's because of the foundation that we have. Not only the foundation that we have, but the head that we have. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23, Paul writes and he says, Christ, this same 
Petra, who is the foundation of the church. Christ is the head of the church, His body, and He Himself is the Savior. So I want you to think about it like that. That's how the church can advance. Not because she has a secure foundation, but also because she has a wonderful head. Who's the head of the church? Not the pastor, not the deacons, not any officer in the church, but Jesus and Jesus alone is the head of the church. Paul wrote in Colossians 1.18, he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, he's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. You let Jesus be preeminent at Bible Baptist Church, and Bible Baptist Church will take Rockcastle County for Jesus Christ. Let Him be preeminent. Let Him be who He is. He is King. So the church is not a building, it's not a budget, it's not a program, but a church is a group, a called out group of born again individuals placed on a solid foundation, the Petra, with a wonderful head. The Petra, the foundation, and the head is one of the same. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, the church is the most certain institution on planet earth today. Advanced armies over two millennia of history now could not kill the Lord's church. Humanism and secularism and atheism and any other kind of ism that you want to throw out today that ought to be a wasm, the isms in culture cannot stop the church. COVID-19 did not kill the church. Why is that? Because Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I get excited about the church. Y'all going to join me in that excitement, aren't you? The foundation of the church is sure. The head of the church is certain. Therefore, the future of the church is exciting and vibrant because it's the Lord's church. As we come to a close this morning, I want you to notice number four with me, the functions of the church. Why is the church here? That's our other basic question. That's the fourth question we're answering from this text. Why did God place the church in this world? Why is the church here. Bottom line, the church is here to win souls. The church is here to see people accept Christ and become devoted followers of Christ. That's why we're here. Isn't it a good thing that we have really a very basic mission? You know, it's not like the church has to wonder about its mission. We have it. Jesus says there in verse 19, looking at Peter, 
looking at the apostles, talking about his church, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus says, I give you the keys. There are, I believe, six purposes of the church. And we're going to look at these over the next few weeks. I think those purposes of the church are evangelism, discipleship, worship, ministry slash missions, fellowship, and number six, prayer. Maybe some of you have heard the name Tom Rainer. Dr. Rainer was, was uh, a teacher to me. I was one of his students years ago. And Rainer always said, if you have trouble remembering the purposes of the church, he said, remember every present dead frog must wiggle. And so I can't forget it. Every present dead frog must wiggle. Evangelism, prayer, discipleship, fellowship, ministry slash missions, and worship. Every present dead frog must wiggle. You won't forget that now, will you? Six basic purposes of the church, but there is one primary purpose of the church and one secondary purpose of the church. And really the primary and the secondary are one in the same. And those would be evangelism and discipleship. Because remember, in our marching orders, Jesus in the Great Commission told us to invade the world with the the gospel and, and to make what, church? Disciples. That's what we're here to do, to make disciples. Let me ask you, how do you make a disciple? First of all, he or she has to be led to faith in Christ. And then secondly, he or she has to be discipled. So the church is here for evangelism and discipleship primarily because our task, again, is to make disciples. So Jesus says... I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, my friend, what do keys represent? Two things. Number one, authority. And then number two, responsibility. I have my keys. I have my keys. Um, Y'all gave me keys to the facilities here at Bible Baptist Church. And they're mine for now because of our relationship right now. And so what do they represent? They represent, number one, authority. I'm authorized. You have authorized me to come in and out of this building. Brother Kevin even gave me a little code so I can unlock the door and beep, 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 beep. I can put in my code and uh, the long arm of the law is not going to come after me. I'm thankful. So that's a key in itself. It's a key code. So I can open the door. I can come in because for this season of life, I'm authorized to do that. You've authorized me. You've given me keys. So I have that authority, but keys represent a responsibility. In other words, if I abused the authority 
that you've given me, we'd have trouble, wouldn't we? You know, if I was coming in and out of this building uh, in the FLC or whatever you have on this campus, if I was coming in and out of these facilities and abusing them, then that'd be a problem. If I was doing things here that I ought not do, if I was using your facilities in a way that you did not authorize me to use them for, then all of a sudden I would be in breach. And what I would have to do is I'd have to take these keys and I would have to turn them in. That's the purpose of keys. Jesus says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let me tell you the key that we have. Listen closely. Can't miss this. Here are the keys. Evangelism and discipleship. How you get into the kingdom of heaven? By being saved, right? Y'all nod your head like this. Next Saturday night, get in bed about an hour earlier. No, I'm just teasing. I love y'all. You know I do. We're cold this morning, aren't we? I mean, we're just, we're just moving a little slowly. But listen, that's how we get into the kingdom of heaven. It's not that there is some universal church, some Catholic church, church, which means worldwide. It's not that there is an institution that can really unlock the kingdom of heaven for somebody. There is no person on earth that can say you're a part of God's kingdom, but you're not. That belongs to God. But we have the keys. You see, we have the keys that unlocks the kingdom of heaven. Those keys are evangelism and discipleship. We can tell somebody about Jesus and how to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And if they accept that, then guess what happens for that person? The door to heaven is opened up. Amen? Aren't you thankful this morning? that the door to heaven was opened for you? Somebody, mom or dad or a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or youth leader or children's ministry worker, somebody, or maybe it was a combination of somebodies, modeled for you and shared for you the gospel of the Lord Jesus and there was that strategic moment when you said, as Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You're my Lord. You're my Savior, Jesus. And the door of heaven was opened up for you. And here's the good news. Once you enter into that door through the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to me, it's bound Praise God! I was saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. Because it's bound for me. 
I was loosed on earth. Shackled, chained up by sin, and the chains are gone. I was loosed on earth, therefore I am loosed in heaven. Oh, church, we're never to be some snooty religious country club with a steeple on top. That's an affront to the glory of God. Churches are to be people. People like you and people like me with the keys of the kingdom, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in a path of discipleship, invading this world, invading this present darkness with light, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, the gates of hell cannot stop you. It can't. The devil and all of his minions and hellish system upon the earth cannot stop the advancement of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ if we will just take the keys that he's given us and go out and tell everybody we know that there's a Jesus who can turn their lives around and there is a wonderful way of faith that can give them meaning and purpose in life and a secure destiny in the life to come. The keys of the kingdom are are ours. And God just wants us to go out and use them and bring people in. Would you stand with me this morning bow your heads? Question number one to process right now is simply this. Am I a part of the kingdom of God? Have I placed my faith in Jesus? Have I done as Peter did all those centuries ago? In so many words, have I said to Jesus, You are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. I know who you are. And by faith... I claim you as my Lord and my personal Savior. Today, if you haven't, you're you're not a part of His church. And I want to invite you to come into His church. I want to invite you to come today to know Jesus Christ. And I promise you this, if you come today, I'll sit down with you. We'll take our time. I'll answer any question you might have. And I will share with you from God's Word how you can be saved today, how you can be in the kingdom of God. Or perhaps today you're here, and even though you're here this morning, you know that the church has lost its place of priority for you. When given the option between serving the Lord through His church and doing other things, you choose other things. And today, God is convicting you about that because it's only the church, only activity through the Lord's church that changes this world that we're living in. 
And maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I need to rekindle my passion for the church. I need to reprioritize the things in my life. I need to give the things of God a more preeminent priority in my life. God's blessed me with a wonderful family of faith, but I don't love her as I should. And maybe you need to come. You don't have to say anything to me. But just get down on your knees and tell God you want His church to be your priority today. Now, He doesn't want the church to come before Him. He doesn't want the church to come before your family. But He wants His church to be prioritized in your life. Maybe you need to come today. Whatever God says to you, however the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart and your life, convicting, drawing, whatever He's doing, say yes to Him today. Lord, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for Your church. Lord, Your church has changed our lives. And thank You, Father, that we can be a part of this great thing You're doing on earth through Your church. And God, help us to prioritize that above the things of the world. Father, if there's one here today who does not know you, who's not part of your church, because he or she has not accepted Christ, your Son, as the Son of the living God, as Lord, as Savior, as Master, as Peter did all those years ago, I pray that person would come today. God, just have your will and your way in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start singing.